Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 308 of Wheel Bearings, we've got special guest Stephanie Brindley joining us. Uh, we also have the Toyota GR Corolla Marizo, the Lamborghini Urus Performante, the Lexus LC500, the 2024 Mustang First Drive, and what are people willing to pay subscriptions for in their cars? All that and more coming up next. This is episode 308 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samad from Guidehouse Insights. I am Roberto Baldwin from Hot Cars and Top Speed. And we have a special guest today sitting in for Nicole. Stephanie, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Stephanie Brindley with uh, S&P Global Mobility. And, and Steph, what do you do at S&P Global Mobility? Yeah, um, I look at the at the industry um, and sales and production and performance for a product that we have called Auto Intelligence and, and go through and kind of put the news in perspective for clients for the day and, and, and for the week and, and why why should things matter? <laughs> kind, of, kind of like what I do, too. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, since since you are our guest today, why don't you go first and tell us what you've been driving this week? So this week, um, I drove um, the Lexus LC500 um, and also um, along with you, the Ford Mustang, the 2024 Ford Mustang. Um, the LC500 isn't necessarily significantly new or different this year. Um, but I, you know, after a slew of most of the year, you're, you spend time in, in utility vehicles. I definitely am finding myself very happy in the sleek <laughs> big coupe. <laughs> it, it's it's a larger coupe than I would personally necessarily choose, but it's just nice. And it's quick, and it's fast, and it's powerful, and it sounds good, and it feels good. And it's really got this great red interior and good exterior. So I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit, quite a bit. Yeah, I, uh, I first drove the LC, I don't know, two, three years ago, when it, four, maybe four years ago when it first came out and was really surprised by how much I liked it. I mean, it, it's one of those classic grand touring coupes. You know, it's yeah. not it's not really meant to be an all out sports car like the like the old LFA was. But, you know, it's, you know, it's big, luxurious, fast, you know, for covering a lot of ground quickly. It does still have the older Lexus infotainment system. And so yeah, there, there is that. <laughs> so other than that, um, but as a grand touring group, you know, fine. <laughs> I can work with that. That's not the, uh, that's not the infotainment system that I would prefer um, ever, but, um, <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's, I did, I was coming back from, from a, a trip the other day and, and found myself on the, on the freeway and not, hundred percent paying attention to how fast I was going, paying more attention to the fact that I wanted to get somewhere. And for the reason I seventy five was moving pretty quickly anyway. And I looked down and there was a number there that I thought, Ooh, don't think I need to be there. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really trying, wasn't pushing it. Car didn't bat. Did not even bat an eye. It was just so, like So you were going slightly more than sixty five? 
Mm-hmm. A little bit more than 65. Just tell than... tell the officer you thought it was kilometers. And you're like, well, I got to be going quicker than this. <laughs> yeah. That, hey, that makes sense. I mean, we are close enough to the Canadian border. Steph lives here in the Detroit area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. So yeah. blame Canada. Yeah. <laughs> it was, but it was really, it was really nice how smooth it, it just sort of happened. I, you know, it's not like I was accelerating zero to 16, really kind of intending to go super fast. I was just going a little bit faster than traffic, which was atypically fast too. But uh, yeah, I wanted to get, I was coming home from the vet. I wanted to get my cat home. Oh, okay. Unhappy. That makes sense. Well, that like, makes cat needs to get home. <laughs> that makes total sense to me, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I, I mean, if if I was a police officer and I had pulled you over in those circumstances, I would have said, "Well, in that case, you know, you've you've got a an ill cat. You know, you've you've got to get her home. She needs get to get home, home. Rest. Come on, people. <laughs> yeah. All right. And and how much is the LC five hundred now? Mm-hmm. That's a good question because I didn't, did not look at that i should have i'm gonna have to to i didn't pull the um monroney on it before i did i think we're looking at this is the 500 not the 500 h and it's a coupon not the convertibles we're looking at about a hundred thousand for this one i assume you've driven the the um the hybrid before right yes yes which which would you rather have the hybrid or or this one uh i think this one um there is some fuel economy improvement and there's a little bit more power in the hybrid because of the mixed powertrain um but i do still like the sound of that v8 um and lexus hybrids are a little bit quieter than toyota hybrids but only a little bit and um while toyota hybrids are really great and lexus hybrids are really great for fuel economy they get a little they get a little grumbly noisy and that kind of bothers me um, and I was really just enjoying the V8 noises. So I think, I mean, this is the, for me, this is the kind of car where if you get the best fuel economy you, you can get from that particular powertrain setup, it's, it's where you need to be. I don't think that if you're, if you're picking up this really, this big, huge coupe grand tourer, um, raw fuel economy isn't the prior primary concern. Yeah, I mean, if you're spending a hundred grand, you know, you can afford to spend a few extra bucks on gas. Like, or you accept yeah. it. I don't yeah. know. I I hesitate a little bit because sometimes we that we hear that a lot. If you can spend X on this, eh, what's another couple more bucks? But you know, people who can spend X on that partly do it because they're careful with what's going on with those other few bucks. <laughs> That's true. They, they tend not to be too profligate with their money. Right. So, um, but still, I, I I still think that for that one, um, I would prefer the V8 to the to the hybrid. Um, but it depends. I mean, if you're it depends on what kind of of a driver you are, too. Uh, I, you know, I can. I said I can see um, some owners preferring the the hybrid and a little bit better fuel economy and a little bit extra power that it gets. Um, but it does come with an extra cost, yeah. and I kind of like the V8 sound better. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it's a it's a grand touring coupe. So as we've pointed out, it is needs to be fast, um, but it, that's not its only mission. So one of the things that's always kind of irritated me about cars like this, though, is that it has a back seat. Right. The back seat is completely useless. Why? If you're going to design a car like this, why even bother with, you know, all the extra structure you need for, you know, to support seat belts and have the back seat in there? Why not just put, you know, a really nicely upholstered package shelf back there? You could put a, you know, a couple more bags in there, you know, that you can't fit in the trunk, uh, you know, for a weekend getaway. 
like a little chest. Why, why do you bother with a, a back seat I in a car like that? Like a little I chest to put things in. That's what they yeah. should Like you open it up, you throw your stuff in there, you close it, and it doesn't slide around. Because this is the kind of car you're going to be driving, you know, vigorously. And yeah. you have stuff flying around your, your, your cabin. Put a little... Put a little chest back there, like a hope chest. The answer, <laughs> the answer is still, I think, today, insurance. Oh, boo. Insurance rates jump up for a two-seater. Yeah. Which doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, um, especially, you know, when, you, when you've got a two-seater that, or even if you've got a four-seater that is only ever used as a two-seater, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. It se- seems like, you know, the, the, insurance, the insurance industry needs to, take a another look at stuff like this yeah that's probably true for sure i mean all it's doing is adding extra weight to the thing we were talking about mustang and i'll 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 throw one thing in there and then get to the mustang but um the lc 500 coupe because the car is so much bigger actually has a a more usable back seat than for example you know our 2002 audi tt doesn't (laughs) (laughs) i've done it once i have to sit sideways it's not advisable yeah um but at any rate um, that's also one of the things that, that one of the reasons let's transition to Mustang. Here's a nice one. Uh, one of the reasons Mustang has done well for as long as it has and consistently because it has a backseat that's a little bit more usable. They've always made sure that package and granted it's not as usable as a sedan or a utility, but it's a little bit more, more usable. And that's, that's been a strength of Mustang for its whole history. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always been a two plus two that, um, you know, while you wouldn't want to spend a lot of time in the back seat, you you can, you know, you can you can fit a couple of people back there. You couldn't fit a couple of Robbies back there. I mean, you know, no. he's. I mean, if you cut me in half and like put one like laid both sides down, <laughs> I'd be like, like stack me like like wood, then I think I'd be fine. But certainly, you can you can put kids back there, which you really can't do with with the lc with something like the lc i mean there's just there's literally zero leg room for unless you're unless your uh driver you know is about as tall as jill simonillo um you know and and jill is you know just shy of five feet tall uh you know there's there's nowhere to put your feet in the in the uh, lc all right so let's let's come back to the mustang in a bit um Robbie, what uh, what have you been driving? I was driving a uh, a fine little economy crossover called the uh, Lamborghini Urus Performante. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a something, <laughs> and I feel like I keep just sliding into a Mario from Super Mario Brothers uh, <laughs> accent whenever I talk about this car. So I'm going to try not to do that. I'm not going to say it's a me while I'm driving it around <laughs> or talking about it. So let's just get that out of the way right now. Uh, yeah, no. So I've driven the Otis before uh, on a track, the regular, I guess the regular Otis. <laughs> Such as um, it is. The, uh, the Otis is uh, Lamborghini's uh Sport utility vehicle, their SUV. It's the number one selling Lamborghini ever. They sell these things. They th- these things are they're they're printing money for Lamborghini. Um, I'm sure there are people out there who are just angry at the world because Lamborghini uh, built this car and it's out there in the world. But like Porsche, um, you should if you're one of those purists, you should be happy that this vehicle is out there because this vehicle allows them to make all the insane Huracan. <laughs> 
<laughs> like variants they want, like where, where the, the Macan and the Cayenne allow Porsche to make a 911 variant for every single owner. Every single owner gets their very own variant of 911 at this point. Um, so yeah, so this is the Performante. This is the, uh, this is the, the high performance version of a high performance vehicle. I actually drove the, uh, Huracan Performante, uh, like two weeks earlier or three weeks earlier. And the differences are, well, I really like that Huracan Performante. It's fun to drive around. It's a Lamborghini. People look at it. They want to take pictures. It's, you know, it's your, your 13 year old, you know, in your room with the, you know, the, the, however old, you know, however, whatever your age is, the Countach, the Diablo, the, the whatever in your, uh, on the, on your wall. Um, so this is that car and you're driving in real life as a person. That said, after four hours behind the wheel of that car, my spine was a little, because <laughs> there's, <laughs> Cause it's the tr- it's essentially a track car. It's like it's like it's track, but it's also for the road. But you can really feel the track car uh, of that that Huracan, and it and it does kind of like smash your spine around after a while. Um, meanwhile, the Urs Performante. I mean, I guess you could take it on a track. It's got you know nice track wheels, but I could drive that thing to to New York and back and totally be fine and comfortable. It's. <laughs> So, so that's the difference, and that's what I think what what sells the the Urus really is that people want that her they want they want the Lamborghini, but they also have you know children or friends you know they want to take their you know their their friends to Las Vegas with them you know over the weekend you can't do that in the, in the Huracan um, you can't do that in the in the Urus uh, the Performante of course uh, more powerful it has a, uh, a spine snapping 657 um, horsepower 627 pound feet of torque. From a third two valve V8, um, zero to sixty in about two point eight seconds. It's quick. It's not a. It's not a slow car. It's a, you know. But you're also sitting pretty high, so it's quick, and you're you know lording over everyone as you're driving around. So you got that going for you if you're really into it. Um, there's plenty of room for people in the front and back seats. I found all the seats to be comfortable. It does have that Alcantara. I always say it wrong. That like that fuzz. Alcantara. Alcantara, um, which I'm totally fine with everywhere else in the vehicle. You want to put it on the headliner, fine. You want to put it on the dash, fine. You want to put it in. I do not like it on the steering wheel. I just, I can't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like the texture. Just give me like a leather steering wheel or a wood steering wheel or pleather or something made out of, you know, some sort of crap plastic or some something else, anything, but I just do not, I cannot, ah, yeah. It just feels weird. It, it feels slick, and it makes me it, it makes me un- uncomfortable because I don't like the idea of a slick texture on the steering wheel of a car. And it, it's funny that you describe it that way as slick because it's really kind of meant to be the opposite, you know, to give yeah. you more more texture, more grip. You know, leather yeah. is more leather is far smooth. more slick. Yeah. yeah, this feels weird. It's like you're touching like a chinchilla or something. <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah, I, I know. It, yeah, no. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I do not like it. Um, it, yeah, comfortable inside and out. Uh, and, if, and if comfort means you like everyone coming up to you everywhere you go. A lot of children uh, stopped me while I was driving this vehicle, um, which I wasn't really uh, anticipating because it doesn't look like you know the the stereotypical Lamborghini. I thought it would you know. Maybe one or two people have noticed it. I had a kid like chase me down on his bicycle. I had another kid. He's like, oh my, and they're always 
is this your car? This is a cool car. And I always have to give the whole spiel. Like, no, it's not my car. You know, I'm, I'm not rich. Just say, yes. just, say I just, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It's my car. I'm a, I'm a rich guy. Um, but uh, no, it, it got a lot of, uh, it got a lot of attention more so than, than I anticipated, which I, I think just goes to show that, um, you know, Lamborghini uh, was able to market this and get this out there into, in a way that's still for a new generation um, still gives them the, the Lamborghini feels that we had as kids when we saw the Countach and Diablo. And so, yeah, so it, you know, it's, you're still going to get people coming up to you if that's the kind of person you are. You know, the Urus, the uh, BMW XM, the G-Wagon, these are all vehicles you buy because you want people to look at you. You want to be noticed. You want, you know, performance. But mostly you just want people looking at you. And, uh, yeah, that's going to happen with, with this vehicle. Um, the cost? It's uh, it's 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 not it's not inexpensive. Um, so the base price is two hundred sixty thousand dollars. There's a there's a couple other numbers after that, but once you hit two sixty, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> those 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 matters don't those, Round, those numbers. Rounding error. Yeah, the most expensive <laughs> uh, option for this vehicle was the gray, like paint job. It's a nice gray, but it's gray. Uh, thirteen thousand dollars for paint. Oof. That's like that's more than my first one, two, like three cars combined. <laughs> Actually, I think that's still cheaper than the the paint job that was on the um, uh, the Maserati Levante I drove last summer. That one I think was like fifteen thousand. Wow. <sighs> yeah, yeah. The bonnet with the visible carbon. So there's carbon fiber mm-hmm. like all over the place, you know, the the hood, as we say in America, uh, right in the middle of it, just a big slab of carbon. Uh, Six thousand dollars. It's actually for a car package. Not that. Slap it on there. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's oh, that's just the bonnet. The roof. Oh, that's just the hood. Okay. The roof. Yeah. If you want the shiny carbon on the roof, that's uh, seven thousand three hundred dollars. Okay. So you're paying for every single like hey, you want to throw some carbon there? All right, let me check it off. <laughs> it's like you're so just it's, yeah. it's a, la, a la carte carbon then. Yeah, it's a la carte. It's like you buy a burger and then you're like, you want fries? Okay, fine fries. Oh, you want a milkshake? Oh, let me add that. Oh, you want oh you want curly fries too? Let me add that. Yeah. Uh, grand total for the uh, the vehicle with the uh, thirteen hundred dollar uh, gas guzzler tax, three hundred thirty three thousand nine hundred seventy two dollars. So. If you want people to see you and you want to go really fast, it's not going to be cheap. Uh, it has it has actually <laughs> for a big V8, uh, 16 miles per gallon combined. That's not bad. That's pretty good. <laughs> to be honest, it's not great. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. I think I was getting. Hold on, 14. I would say we I, weren't I, doing better. We were probably weren't doing better than that in the Mustangs this week. Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't get that. It's 19 highway, 14 city. So yeah, it's. I. I uh, so you know, it's pretty good. You're driving around. You're driving to work in your performante. <laughs> See, the, the 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 power move is you get the orders performante, and then you just get a Prius. <laughs> Take the or the performantes for the weekend. Prius. It's like it's like you have a. It's like a mullet for your life. Like business in front, which is the Prius. Party in the back, which is your performante. <laughs> Spending three hundred thirty-three thousand dollars. The other one, so that you're you're feel good, feel good for the Earth cars, Tesla. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. If you you just balance it out. You're just, <laughs> I'm balancing it out. Most of the time, I'm driving. I'm driving the Prius, or you get a you know you get like a a Maki, you know, really just 
because apparently those things are like they're just giving them away according to uh, a couple of news sites. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that was the uh, Lamborghini uh, Urus Performante. Um, I think people always people have been asking us a lot about how we feel about driving uh, these types of vehicles, and uh, yeah, with the, with the Huracan, I was a lot more pre- concerned about driving it around. I don't know why, because the Performante is like just as expensive, but for some reason. I, I, I didn't have that extra anxiety that you have when you have a supercar. Well, I think, you know, with, with the Urus, you're, you know, you're less likely to be scraping off some of that carbon, you know, on the front every time you pull into a driveway. Oh, man, don't even get me know, started or, on that stuff. You know, things like that. <laughs> or you like, know, hit, when you hit potholes. Turn into the little, where's the camera? Where's the camera? <laughs> There's a lot of like when you're driving these cars, especially the, the very low uh, performance vehicles, when you're pulling in the parking spots, you're looking for that camera button. So you make sure that you're a you're not sticking out um, and B, you're not going to hit the, the curb and like just ruin your week. Right. And, and you definitely don't want to return these with return something like this with a little curb rash on the tire on the wheels. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I have a whole story about curb rash. I'll tell another day. <laughs> Uh, all right. <laughs> but, uh, the magic of the, or, I mean, is what you hit on. Though it's you can have the supercar, but you can still put your kids in the back, and you know, it, park. It's got yeah, off-road it, mode. Boop. And, well, and it is. And Porsche was right to to start doing that, and and I, I think that that we're going to talk about some other stuff that we talk about, um, kind of the the outrage, the social media outrage, or the letters to the editor back in the day. Um, it it doesn't change the, the basics. If you are a nine eleven purist and you want a nine eleven, yeah, probably did still buy one, even if you thought it was not great that they made them con and a cayenne. You might not have bought it, but you probably still did. But you know, a lot of people who weren't willing to buy a nine eleven because they were concerned about their kids or whatever, or needed to do a little bit more, are like, wait a second, whoa, I can get both. And and. Then, and- yeah, no, and they handle so well for 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 yes. uh, for SUVs. Those Macans, the Macan, the Cayenne, and the Urus—they all handle like way better than they should. Like the, you know, they 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 turns out those people at Lamborghini and Porsche, those chassis folks, they know what they're doing. <laughs> well, and I, I think at least between the the Cayenne and the Urus, you know, there's there's also a lot of um, shared elements to those vehicles. They're they're on the same platform. Yeah. So. Well, and. You know, we talk about the price, and maybe it doesn't need to be three hundred thirty thousand to get there. But still, like you, you get different equipment. <laughs> you spend more money. You've got more time. You've got more components. You can more you can work with in the chassis in terms of what are those suspension bits? Is it the high performance suspension bit that doesn't that cost a little bit more? I mean, you, you there is there is something to um, to spending the money. It's not just the badge on it. There's something behind the badge. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I remember a lot of people like, well, I wouldn't pay that money for a Porsche. I'm like, the first time you get in any Porsche and you drive it, like you're gonna understand where that money's going. You're just yeah. gonna know. You don't have to go zero to sixty. You don't have to go to just go around a corner, and you're like, oh, I understand. Yeah. Still, they, right. that person who said it may still not buy it, but they. Oh yeah, you might not be able to afford it like me, but you could. <laughs> <laughs> What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Uh, all right. Well, I, I had something that was uh, not quite as, as thrilling as, as either of you. I, you know, I just I just had a Corolla, um, you know, a somewhat rare version of the Corolla. Um, it was the uh, GR Corolla Marizo edition. Um, of which so they're jealous, <laughs> which are only 200 for the U S market. And the one I had, uh, the, the tag on the end of the dashboard said it was number 166 out of 200. Um, and, um, so this is, you know, the, the, the GR Corolla, I think, uh, I think, uh, Nicole had one once before she had the, the regular version, the core, uh, and there's actually one of my neighbors here in, in uh, down the block, Actually, uh, a few months ago, got um, a GR Corolla Core, uh, which is the the base version of it, which I think starts around thirty uh, thirty six thousand yeah. um, dollars. And uh, there's also the Circuit Edition, which is forty two thousand nine hundred. The Marizo is a little bit different. Marizo is the the name that uh, Akio Toyota uses when he's driving, when he's racing. Uh, that's his, that's his nickname. And so this is named for him. You know, Akio is the now former CEO, chairman of of, uh, of Toyota. And uh, when when he became CEO or, or president of Toyota back about 2010 or 11, I think it was, you know, he kind of revitalized the company. You know, and he revitalized product development of the company. You know, kind of moving them in a different direction, trying to make. You know, let's let's make more interesting cars. Make let's make cars that are actually fun to drive. And it's you, if you drove Toyotas from 2010 and drove Toyotas today, they are definitely vastly better cars than they were, um, including the Corolla. Um, the the GR Corolla is Toyota's answer to the likes of the VW Golf R and the Civic Type R. Um, it's it's the high performance version. It's all wheel drive. It's the it's the hatchback. Um, it has a 1.6 liter three cylinder 
that's turbocharged to 300 horsepower. And in the, in the, in the regular GR Corolla, it makes a mere 273 foot pounds of torque. Uh, in the Marizo, you get the same 300 horsepower, but you get 295 foot pounds of torque. They retuned it a little bit. Um, they also took about a hundred pounds of weight out of it compared to the circuit edition by ditching the rear seats. Yeah. Uh, they got rid of the rear right. windshield wiper, <laughs> the rear window wiper on the hatch, um, which could be a little problematic if it's raining. But then again, on the, the Michelin pilot cup sport two or sport Michelin pilot sport cup two tires. Uh, you probably don't want to be driving that in the rain too much anyway. There's <laughs> uh, not not a lot of tread depth in those, especially after it's been through a few different journalists. Uh, but even even when they're fresh, they don't have a whole lot of tread for getting the water out of the way. Um, and um, as part of the weight savings, they figured, well, if we don't have a rear seat, and we don't really need to be able to roll the rear windows down. So let's get rid of the rear window regulators. Um, so the rear windows don't go down either. You can actually open the rear doors, but you just can't put the windows down. Um, and then they added a couple of extra braces in the back to stiffen up the rear structure. Um, so what they, what they say is, uh, you know, it's got enough room in the back that for track days, you can fit four more, four more wheels and tires in there. And you, you probably could, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you could, you could fit a, a full extra set of wheels and tires in there to take to the track, swap those on, you know, so you could have a set of actual slicks instead of almost slicks to drive on the track. Mostly uh, slicks. <laughs> and uh, so the, the Marizo comes in at $49,900. The, uh, uh, the one that I had, um, was came in at a total uh including delivery charge of fifty two thousand sixty three dollars um it had a couple of, it had a special color which was the uh the the wind chill pearl which is a pearl white um it did have uh carpeted floor mats um and uh also the door cell protectors uh and the the frameless home link mirror so that that bumped it up to almost fifty two grand um this thing is quick, uh, you know. I mean, it's not it's not as fast as the Urus Performante, uh, but you know, it is a very quick Corolla. It is a lot but, more fun than the Urus Performante. <laughs> yeah, and especially on, especially on the road, I think you know you you know it's it's quick, but not so ridiculously quick that you can't you know kind of explore you know start to explore some of its limits on the road without getting into too much trouble. Um, Unlike the uh, the Civic Type R, it does have all-wheel drive, um, and it's got the uh, the GR4 mode. So there's a, a rotary controller on the console. the The default is it splits the torque sixty percent to the front, forty percent to the rear. You twist that knob, and it goes to thirty seventy. So it has a more more of a rear drive flavor to it. Um, one of the things with taking all that stuff out of the the back end of the car. Uh, they did add a couple of extra braces, like I said, to stiffen it up, but they they left out, you know, some of the noise matting and things like that. So you hear a lot more in the Marizo than you do in a standard Corolla, GR Corolla. Um, like, for example, if you're driving on a road where, you know, the, the pavement's a little broken, you know, there's some sand or like light gravel, things like that. You hear all of that stuff bouncing off the floor pan as oh. you're trying driving down the road it's it's uh it's a little noisy um it's it if you want 
a GR Corolla to just use as a daily driver and you don't plan to take it to a track, don't bother trying to get the Marizo. No, um, that's a bad idea. Yeah. Get get the core or even the circuit edition. Um, those, you know, those are they're cheaper and it's going to be less annoying as a daily driver. But if you do if you do plan to track it, then the Marizo is a great choice. It is. It's very purpose built. It's very yeah. purpose delivered. And you know, two hundred. Yeah. That's all, that's all. yeah. You know, it's chances it's, of finding one are pretty slim anyway. So right. they're they're all gone. Yeah. The, the, you know, the conversation about daily driver really, to my mind, isn't super relevant because somebody who buys this bought it for a specific purpose, and it really wasn't daily driver. Um, which is a little bit of a conundrum given that they took the seats out. You can put more stuff from target in it. Yeah. Uh, theoretically aimed at a, at a younger buyer who's maybe not going to be able to afford two cars or whatever, but um, it's, it's such a purpose built vehicle and it, it shows though what Toyota can do um, in terms of making something fun to drive. And in terms of, of throwing the engineering into it, being able to hold their own in that space. And I think that's where it gets to be important for, for Toyota um, in terms of, of, of image and just sort of existing um, more so than how many. And of course, I mean, they, they, have, they have a clue. They know this isn't um, this is going to be a limited and keeping it 200 probably ensures they sell every one of them and the residuals stay high. And it's a nice little thing. More people will buy circuit and core um, for sure. Um, I've driven them. I've driven them. I drove them on the media drive. I've had one at home yet. Um, and they're a lot of fun. They are a lot of fun. And I, I give them points too for having the all-wheel drive system. Um, as much as the Type R is nice, uh, the all-wheel drive system I think is is clever. And they did, like you pointed out, the, the knob for turning it, um, I, it is an interesting way to, to handle that too. Um, but I think that's a, that, that does make torques here a little bit better in that setup than you would have in the Type R. Um, so I I think it's a good a good move for them overall. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, and that that engine, yeah, I I am I have become a fan of small turbocharged three cylinder engines over the last decade. Uh, I I love the 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 kind of growl that they make, which is distinctly different from a four cylinder or a six. Um, and you know, in this case, because you've got three exhaust outlets, you know, one one for each cylinder, you know, it, it it's it's got kind of a distinctive sound to it, and it it is a hoot to drive, um, you know, and it you know it's it's shockingly torquey for such a small engine, very responsive, uh, you know, doesn't really feel like there's any you know noticeable turbo lag from it. Um, it's just, it's really well done, and I you know I think. I could probably be very happy with a core or a circuit. Um, I know, I know my neighbor is very, very happy with his, you know, he had been looking for one and, and the local Toyota dealer got one in, somebody else had ordered it and then decided to cancel it. And so he called him and said, Hey, I've got this GR Corolla. Do you want it? And he was there the same day getting it. And, you know, yeah. I saw him, I saw him a couple of days after he picked it up. Um, and uh, it, he, he loves it. That's a fantastic little car. That's how all of the GR Corollas should be sold. Just, you know, there is an appetite out there for people who really want them. And they are clever and they're cute and they're fun. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I probably, I'd probably spec out a circuit if I was specking one. Yeah. Well, one of the things I like about the the current generation Corolla, both the hatch and the, um, 
the sedan is, you know, the, when you look at it, the belt line actually slopes down and curves down quite a bit right near the front. Um, so you actually have uh, a lot better visibility out of these things than you do out of most um, cars these days uh, to the, to the forward corners, because you've got that, that, that little dip down kind of like what, what Ford does on the F one fifties on the, on the F series pickups with that cut out uh, below the mirrors. So you can see the the corner areas. And when you're, when you're driving quickly on a curvy road, being able to, to glance over and see the, the corners a little better, uh, just, even if it's just a little bit is, is a big help. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to take it to an autocross, you know, then it really helps, you know, to know exactly where those cones are. It's fantastic. I love driving that car. It wasn't the, the version you have. I had just the regular. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. I cannot yeah. say enough wonderful things about the, the GR Corolla. If you're, uh... and, and it's interesting. I don't know how many more Corollas it'll help them sell, but I think it does still speak to, you know, anytime you can put an engineering project like that together, I think it helps the whole line. As, well, as, you know, I think I think it, it helps, you know, even if it doesn't necessarily sell many more Corollas, just to know, you know, for, you know, even even enthusiasts, you know, mm-hmm. need to have regular cars to drive. And, you know, if, if you know that the company you're buying from, you know, cares, cares enough to build something like that, that they're probably going to put a little bit of extra care into everything they build. And, you know, so that I think, you know, it's. For me, you know, I'm I would be much more inclined to buy a Toyota today than I was 10 years ago, just because of some of these kinds of cars that they built. You know, the 86, the 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 GR Corollas, even the Supra, um, you know, and it it makes a difference, I think. And the Supra and and uh, 86 are on their second generations too, mm-hmm. so they, they've made a, a multiple year commitment to those, in spite of sports car sales, not doing what they once were um so it's not it's not about the volume and the 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 partnerships certainly helped with the the 86 and the supra um but you're right like it 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 all adds up to to presenting a a company that that cares about how it feels um i'm not sure how much it translates as well (laughs) to all of them just yet i think that's one of the areas they still need to work on um toyota's are a little bit more fun than they used to be, but they're still pretty heavy. Um, and so I think maybe translating some of that language into into the other vehicles can still a little bit more work could still be done in that way. But it set, it sets up the the company for where they want to be, and it's a nice blend with all the hybrids and yeah, so let's not go too deep into the electric conversation. But but they uh, have always cared about fuel economy, and they have always cared about that match. So it's a it's an interesting little space to be in you know reminding one of the companies that's still sticking around and talking about performance um at a more consistent level than some of the others yeah and and the gr corolla is rated at 21 city 28 highway 24 combined you know i averaged about 26 um so you know i'm quite quite happy with it see it's the all-around perfect car yeah if you're into that sort of thing (laughs) (laughs) If you, you want to hear rocks coming up, hitting I am totally floor. fine with rocks smacking the in the the, the pan. I don't get yeah. the whole time I was behind the wheel of that car. I was like, well, "This is the best thing that's ever happened." That the GR eighty six is like, okay, this is a nicer version, like Rick Ride. Oh, <laughs> but, and 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 like your Urus Performante, the GR Corolla had a carbon fiber roof. 
boom. It didn't cost the cost. Uh, yeah, but you could cost a fraction of what that Lamborghini cost. Well, the Lamborghini's bigger. And that carbon fiber's got to come all the way from Italy, you know. Uh, okay. They have a they have a man who lives in a small <laughs> village who just makes carbon fiber. Just he weaves the mats by hand. Yeah, his name is they... Mario. <laughs> is he is he do plumbing on the side? He does. Yeah, he does it for stars. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and gold coins. <laughs> all right, let's move along. So this week, uh Stephanie, you and I got to drive the 2024 Mustang, which according to Ford is uh, all new. Um, I I actually <laughs> classify it as mostly new. Yeah, me too. Mostly new. <laughs> yeah. Mostly. So we got, got to drive the, the EcoBoost. We got to drive the GT. Uh, no dark horse yet. Uh, that's, that's coming later. Um, what did you think? It, it's a really refined version of the same formula. I mean, well, not refined in the sense that it's uh, more less raw. I mean, you still have that that element to it. I, visually, I think that it looks really good. I really like the way that they've worked with the design on this one. Um, I have spent more time in the convertible, um, and both in the in the EcoBoost and the and the GT this time round, and it was just lovely. Uh, top down on the canyons for a couple of hours. You know, I. I didn't have a co-driver with me at that point. So just chilling and driving and doing exactly what Mustangs could do. It's, it's perfect. It's a perfect little execution of what a Mustang should be. When we're talking about cars that are very specific to a buyer's taste right now, uh, from Mustang, from Taurus, to JR Corolla, to even LC500. So it's really cool to still have these vehicles in existence when, of course, sales are dominated by utility vehicles, which you could uh, fill in fill in the blank but i liked a lot of that the new infotainment sister system is a lot stronger the the unreal engine graphics are are amazing um that it is it is pretty cool you know i i guess i don't game enough so i i don't know how many i, mean, I don't know that the, the that knowing that it's done by unreal engine didn't matter that much to me because i'm not a gamer but the result is just really neat graphics and it'll be interesting as ford pushes over their updates over time um hope whether or not it's a subscription thing or not but being able to update in theory they could be able to update those graphics over time i don't know exactly how you want to change them but they do and it's it's more or less common in the industry right now but you change your track mode and you've got different colors and you've got the car spinning and doing great things and the, and the infotainment that and the center stack actually that really tell you what to expect out of that um out of that try out of that mode so i like that a lot of it as well yeah you know i i enjoy driving the car a lot i i guess i'm a little less enthusiastic about the the styling this time compared to the s550 the previous generation um yeah it's it's you know a lot sharper lines um yeah i think when i when i went to the original backgrounder last august a few weeks before they unveiled it publicly uh you know talking to the designers then one of the things they talked about was the last time they for with the s550 they because they were that was the first generation where they were taking the car global and making it available everywhere in the world um and they went with a little bit more of a European styling direction with it while maintaining, you know, the Mustang visual DNA. 
And this time they decided to go back to a more traditionally American muscle car look. Um, uh, you know, he said, I'm, it, it's good, but I think if I had to choose between the design of this one versus the last one, I would probably go with the last one. Uh, but, you know, again, that's personal preference. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, nec- it, it's not, it's not to the point where I would not buy this car just because of the way it looks. Um, the one thing that to me at least kind of turns me off more though, is that big screen, you know, the, the way they've, the way they've done the infotainment system, you know, you've got uh, on all on the base models, they've actually got it as two separate displays. Um, but on, on the premium trims, it's all, um, it's it's all within one housing uh, that's curve curves around you, and the the infotainment screen is kind of tilted to, slightly towards the driver. I think it's a thirteen and a half inch display and like twelve and a half for the for the cluster. Um, again, the Unreal graphics look pretty cool, but you know, does it actually add anything functionally? You know, it's kind of kind of a gimmick. You know, do how how often am I going to be sitting there? swiping on the screen and twirling the car around to, you know to to as I'm changing the settings um you know and that's that's the kind of thing you can do with unreal you know because it's all modeled in 3D and it's rendering all those animations in real time whereas in the past the animations would always be pre-rendered um you know so now it's rendering it rendering it in real time yeah i i guess i'm you know i'm old um, you know, I'm not the, I'm not, I'm, I'm the target market that would have been buying Mustangs for the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, and, and I did, um, what they're going for now is to try to engage younger buyers, Gen Z millennials. Um, I don't know. Do you think that a 30 year old is going to be more inclined to buy a Mustang now because it's got, you know, these cool graphics and everything? I don't know that they're more inclined to buy it. Again, I'm not a gamer, so I have a hard time kind of deciding this. This is all super important. Um, but having said that, like any car we get into these days has interesting graphics. And so you can't not have it. Did it have to go to the level of Unreal Engine and level that it is? Maybe not. And I do feel like it's something that after you've driven it for a year or so, you're like, okay, it's pretty, but whatever. Like, I'm, I'm there. I, I know it. I see it. I, I, you're done showing all of your friends unless you're getting new friends every month who haven't seen it. You, you've shown everybody you can show about it. So I don't know that it has like long-term ownership value in that sense. And, and they can kind of be like, all right, but if you don't do something, you're certainly going to, to you know, look dated in terms of just what's available out there and, and what's happening. And you don't want this car to look dated. Um, at the same time, you need to sort of respect heritage and respect everything else, but you don't want it to be looking dated next to, to anything else. Um, and so I think that's part of it. Um, I wasn't, and liking the graphics in the center cluster, the infotainment system itself. Um, like I said, I drove around by myself for the, the, and, and the canyons for a while. I didn't change the radio station because I just didn't want to screw around trying to figure out or moving the swiping left and right or whatever to get to the next Sirius XM station. And and I don't I don't tend to talk to cars myself. Um, 
and certainly the roof was down. So my, I didn't even try to, to change the <laughs> station by Sirius. And, and I haven't remembered all those stations yet anyway. But I did find that um, the, the level of touch stuff can be a little distracting, um, especially for a car that you just want to go drive. Um, that it looks good. Um, but, you know, as we've kind of talked about offline before, you know, the, the, the confluence of, of touchscreen versus buttons um, is still something that automakers are working through. Um, and this one works really fast, but it still requires you to do a lot more stuff by touch than I necessarily would have liked. Um, but I, yeah, I, it's hard. I'm, I really, I keep trying to put my head in you know, the same of a 25 or 30 year old, I can't quite get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think they are perceiving it a little bit differently. And they, they referred to it in the presentation of, you know, we, we want to get to the guy who's been driving these cars on, on, uh, on like the gaming system for a while and, and, and have them feel like that. I'm like, okay. I, I thought that's not wrong to say and not wrong to think about, but I, I'm still not necessarily in that space. Um, but eventually we're not going to be buying cars and I'm probably not buying a Mustang next. So they need to be talking to somebody else. Yeah. I know that the, the tech world, that's what I was mostly where I write for, they really care more about um, latency. I mean, they see real in, the, the Unreal Engine. They're like, okay, well, it's not going to have latency, but then you get into the Hummer the Hummer EV and that's just a latent, you know, you push a button and you got to wait like a few seconds for it to load. And you're like, well, this isn't, this isn't the unreal engine we were promised. That's the, that's their concern is like they, you know, they're used to, you know, you pick up your phone, you do a thing it happens automatically. That's really where they're, where they're what they're thinking about is they want things just to work quickly because they've become, they've become accustomed to, you know, their home computer system, especially we're talking about gaming. If they're hardcore gamers, you know, these are people who are making sure that things work quickly. And if you're putting, graphics over speed then you're making a mistake i i don't know sam i felt like it was pretty quick but i wasn't timing yeah it, it was it was it was as long as it's like, yeah. yeah yeah as long as it's responsive that's like the main goal They're like oh this looks cool you know my phone did this five years ago yeah. whatever <laughs> like i just want to be able to push things and then they happen mm-hmm. um one, just did. one uh you know one one thing that i you know, I can live with the graphics, you know, and, and even the screen. Um, one thing that I did find annoying in the interior, actually two things annoying in the interior. Uh, one, you know, they, they made the switch from uh, having physical climate controls to moving everything onto the touchscreen. It's all there permanently in a bar across the bottom of the screen. So it's, it's, you don't, you know, if you need to change the temperature or anything, you don't have to go searching through menus. It's, it's there all the permanently displayed but you do have to look at it to do that. Um, yeah. And then the other thing we were talking last week, and, and there was also some discussion in the discord this week about that um, little panel of uh, control switches in the Lincoln Corsair, where it was one piece covering uh, like five or six switches. Hate that, that panel. They have the exact same thing in the Mustang. In the oh, Mustang. see now last time they had those stupid fake, plastic like switches that only went one direction the toggles and they felt plastic they didn't feel like they didn't feel solid like they do in the mini and so i i just didn't i i'm like make these feel real make don't make them feel like a fisher price toy and they replaced that with something worse (laughs) (laughs) oh ford (laughs) but 
you know, <clears throat> drive, driving the, the cars, you know, both the, the EcoBoost on the first day and then the GT on the second day, um, you know, I felt, you know, they, they drove great. Um, the, the biggest thing that they changed this year from a dynamic standpoint is the steering. It's got a new steering rack and the, the joint in the steering column. Um, and I'm trying to remember exactly how, how he described it, but basically there's a lot less compliance in that joint in the steering column. Um, and they so much so that they were able to also remove a bushing in the steering column to further reduce the compliance. So you get better, more direct steering feel. Um, and you know, when you're driving in on those curvy roads, you know, the first day was, uh, and the EcoBoost was, uh, San Gabriel Canyon. Um, and then the next day, uh, Angeles forest, um, you know, it, it feels, it definitely, the steering definitely feels better than it did before. Um, definitely feels very precise. And I thought that the, you know, the, the handling was very predictable, very progressive, um, you know, especially, um, in the GT, um, the, the EcoBoost we drove on the first day had the, um, the Pirelli P zeros, the summer tires, um, the, the, the first GT I drove on the second day, also convertible had the, um, uh, the Conti, uh, all season tires on their all season performance tires, which despite being all season, you know, they had surprisingly good grip, but I think for average drivers, I thought they were really good because as they start to slip, you can hear it as it starts to slip a little bit sideways. And so that it gives you that audible feedback. And then you also get the feedback through the steering and you can um, easily adjust the, the attitude of the car with the throttle and, and the brake You just back off the throttle a little bit, get that little bit of weight transfer turns in a little bit more. Um, and it was really easy to drive. It doesn't, it's not going to do anything silly, you know, and, and bite you, you know, as long as you're not doing anything really stupid. Um, you know, if you're just approaching the limits, you can find those limits and stay within them, uh, quite easily, uh, with this car. So I think for, for most drivers, it's, it's a really good option. What'd you think, Steph? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I guess that's where I, I kind of went to sort of the refining, refining the formula. Um, cause it did feel very much like Austin, a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, in the steering and, and some of these things we're talking about, but it, it felt very much predictable. Like I would expect a Mustang to feel, it didn't feel like they were trying to change anything about what you expect when you get behind the wheel of that car. Um, and they don't need to, um, it's only a segment almost of its own right now. Yeah. Um, uh, it, so- it almost literally is because the Camaro goes away at the beginning of next year, <laughs> the Challenger goes away at the end of this year um so it really is kind of in a segment of its own now how, it, how was the transmission because that was i think that was the trans on the the gts was the transmission to get um wasn't it recalled i just know the tremec is amazing and the one below it the gt is fine <laughs> i yeah i was in the 10 speed um it was it was fine i did not unfortunately i did not have time in the uh in the uh manual. oh they but, have such a great I know. Clutch. I really love the clutch. I like going to the Ford guys. Yeah. I'm like, I really like your clutch. And they're like, oh, and they get all excited. I'm like, I'm not, I can't write about this. No one cares about clutches but me. The, you do when they're good. The the, the EcoBoost this year, um, there's no more manual available with the EcoBoost. Oh, that's a bummer. Because they were selling like low no, no one's buying those. Yeah. They're buying those in the You GT. can get the manual with the with the GT. Um, and you know, it's about 30% take rate on the GT with the oh, manual. That's good. Yeah. 
Um, and the the GT has the same Gitrag gearbox that was on the last generation. Um, the Dark Horse gets the Tremec. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the nice thing with the GT, you know, it's got so much torque with the that five liter um, that you know getting up you know in those canyon roads, basically you just put it in third gear and go and you you never really have to shift it in that kind of scenario you can easily go between 40 and a much higher speed um you know it's got a 7500 rpm red line 40 Um, and up to the speed limit yeah or yes yes um and uh you know never really have to shift it and you can just focus on on just driving um and i thought that was that was a lot of fun that was that was really good uh, but even when you do shift it, you know, it, it, it the, the shift action was fine. I had, I had no issues with it. Um, Steph, you didn't get a chance to try the, um, the electronic drift brake. Did you? I did not try the drift brake. I did the autocross. Um, yeah. and then I went on some on-road driving and, and did not do the drift. So, so, the, so it has a, it has a, is it a physical or is yeah. it electronic? Like what's, what's yes. going on with the, with the brake? Yes. The, yes. With the handbrake. <laughs> So it, it looks like a traditional handbrake lever, mm-hmm. but the, you know, the S650 has an electronic park brake system. Okay. If you, if you don't get the performance package, if you, if you get any, any Mustang without the performance package, you get just the same kind of electronic park brake that you find on most new cars today, where it looks like a window mm. switch. You, you no, know, it's yeah. just, a, just a little switch. <laughs> you pull it up, you know, with your foot on the brake, it applies, it applies the brakes electronically. Um, with the uh, if you get performance package, you get a handle that looks like that, but it's actuating the electronic park brake. Oh, but uh, <laughs> the thing the thing is, it it actually does it faster than a mechanical park brake would. It's like less than a hundred milliseconds, so you get less yeah. less latency. Um, and you, get, you don't have that analog adjusted. You you can feel like oh, I need a little bit more. I need a little less. You know, all right, maybe I'm just weird. Well, it's, it, it's I'm, again that that's this is for a point zero five percent like owner. exactly, <laughs> and and this is something that you should probably never be using on the street. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's all you know, there's this stereotype, you know, and you look on Twitter, or YouTube, and you know, Instagram, and you always see these bozos, you know, pulling out of cars and coffee and their Mustang GTs and, and then sla- hitting, the, hitting the accelerator and spinning the thing off into a curb or slamming into a ditch. Yeah. They've um, never done it before. And, uh, don't do that. And, and under normal circumstances, you know, if you don't use that electronic park brake, you know, the, this, this new one, you know, will generally avoid those kinds of situations. But if you, if you pull that lever, you will easily get yourself into that kind of position and, uh, and spin the thing around. They shouldn't give it to them at all. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But, but if, if you're going to go drifting, you know, on a track, you should, this is something you should only be doing it's on a track. It's good to be flicking anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's very responsive. Um, you know, so you, as soon as you do it, it, it reacts, you it know, so you lift off the accelerator, pull the handle, and locks those rears up mm-hmm. and you know it'll turn whichever whichever way the uh, the wheels are turned um and you can you can get it around and then you know immediately go back down and it releases so and that's that's probably the bigger thing is more so the release than the than the actuation because it, it releases just as fast as it actuates cool. and so it's it's much more responsive so if you're if you're gonna do that it it works better on a track 
Yes, on a track oh. only. And also learned it just to learn how to do a flick. Yeah. Left, right, left. <laughs> it. I was. I'm curious because then the one, the one thing that I was really, um, I, it was unfortunate I didn't get to check the drifting out was in the presentation they were talking about the the graphics and the communications um, from the Unreal Engine sort of teaching people how to drift better. Did you did you experience that? Um. I, I didn't i didn't really pay i didn't really play with i mean we didn't have very much time to do no. the drifting we only had a you know a couple of you know i think like three three laps around the, yeah. the drift course uh, uh to do that and i i was paying we they had uh okay. some some guys there from rtr vehicles um mm -hmm. von gittens company um that were coaching us on how to do it so i was paying more attention to what they were saying than any of the graphics stuff i okay. basically just ignored the graphics stuff yeah um I was curious about that because it does fall in line with um, a lot when you look at the truck and some of the other things that Ford is making an effort in trying to um, put technology in that can help somebody who doesn't already know how to do something learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I did find that, that to be an interesting alignment with, again, with what they're already doing. So Yeah, nice. like the trailer hitch assist and things like yeah. that. And I yeah. guess recognizing that they're still trying to get to, to younger buyers maybe didn't grow up with sports cars or pickup trucks or, you know, certainly haven't paid attention to an e-brake in, in the last decade. If you, I mean, yeah. if you learn to drive and test in the last, you know, five or 10 years, is that a big priority? Maybe not. So, but they yeah. may be curious. But I mean, you know, drifting, you know, is, is popular, particularly yeah. more among younger with the kids. sports fans. The kids yeah. love the, the kids love the drifting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so again, that's something that is probably going to appeal more to a younger buyer than, the traditional uh, red old Mustang buyer. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just want to go fast in the, in the straight line. Yeah. Um, and then um, the, you know, the other thing, of course, you know, with, with Mustang as with everything else these days is pricing, you know, it, you know, it, it, the, the thing with Mustang was always that it was fast, fun and affordable and mm -hmm. affordability of cars in general has obviously become a problem. Um, but I was, as I was writing stuff up on this, you know, I was looking, you know, I, when I graduated in 1990, I bought myself a five liter LX Mustang that had 225 horsepower, which is 90 less than this four cylinder EcoBoost and had less torque than that EcoBoost engine. Um, and I paid $13,000 for that car. And the EcoBoost coupe starts at $30,000 now or 30, almost $31,000. And so I was thinking, yeah, that's that's a big price difference. But over that thirty-three year gap, I, I plugged in that thirteen thousand dollars into the into CP inflation calculator. It came out to just shy of thirty thousand dollars. Anyway, it's like twenty-nine thousand eight hundred dollars. So the price, the the starting price is actually for a similar level of performance is actually almost the same as it was thirty years ago. Um, but I'm always curious about those those because are we inflation as things cost or inflation as how much people make because what people make is less than before yeah <laughs> well that, and that's you go into inflation so you look the at the if you're looking at just... if you're looking at average salaries mm -hmm. average wages versus median you know it's a big difference you know yeah a lot of people you know there's some people making a lot more money and a lot right. of people not making that much more money. yeah yeah so things Anyway, I, I I love the last generation Mustang. I think is exactly what Ford need to do. I'm excited to to when I get my hands on this. Is the dark horse essentially just the bullet? <laughs> um, more like 
midway between uh, where Mach One uh, and GT three fifty were. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. That's you cool. Get, you got four hundred and eighty horsepower in the the GT um, and four eighty six if you get the active perform active exhaust system, uh, and then it's going to be five hundred horsepower for the uh, for the dark horse. Uh, 418 foot pounds of torque. So kind of splitting the difference between GT350. Um, and, you know, with a, the the Coyote's got a 7,500 RPM redline. GT350 was 8,200. So it revs almost as high as the GT350 did. That's the only Mustang from the last gen that I didn't drive was a GT350. Oh, I you 500, missed out. I drove the Bullet, and I was just like, I just want to drive the GT. Because the, the 500 doesn't have the manual transmission. It's a fun car, and they, we got to drive it on track and autocross it and blah, blah, blah. But I really wanted to, to drive the GT350, and now I'll never get to. <laughs> yeah. The, the the Dark Horse has got the Tremec, the same Tremec gearbox that was in the GT350 as well. Nice. All right. So, and I think it was also in the Mach 1. So. So. Just go dark horse. Just go dark horse. It'll be the same. Yeah. Close enough. Close <laughs> enough. You know, with thrifting for the kids. All right. <laughs> um, let's dive into a couple other things. Let's start off with uh, something that came from your company, Steph. Um, uh, okay. A survey on uh, consumers' willingness to pay for subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see. Let me find this one. So, First of all, how do you feel about paying for connected car services? Okay, uh, this is this is clearly something we're going to be talking about for for a very long time, um, and you know, my 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 personal behavior um, is is to not really <laughs> do that. <laughs> my first behavior is no. <laughs> Are you saying that once I, you have paid off your car, you don't want to keep paying for it in perpetuity? No, it's, I didn't, uh, the, the, the two examples, the examples that I have, you know, Sirius XM stays on the Miata as long as I talk them into the $5 a month. And when I don't, I say, okay, see you later. Um, we have a, a and they say, whoa, 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 wait, don't go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. for five bucks a month. Um, five bucks a month. <laughs> we have a, we have a Cadillac ATSB that sleeps in the, in the wintertime. So it doesn't, I don't put Sirius on it because why would I put Sirius on it for four months? Whatever. I just don't bother because they won't give you the, the $5 for four months, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, you can just deactivate it. I'm like, th- th- no, this is too much hassle. Right? Um, and OnStar, GM's OnStar system in general is a really good system. Like it, there's a ton of things you can do with it. I wasn't really doing that much with it. Again, with a car that goes to sleep for four months or six months out of the year, give or take. So when the OnStar subscription, the the base expired, I called my husband who was driving the car that day, and and said, "Yeah, so if you crash, cops are coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be just found lying in a ditch three days later. Sorry, you have to, you have to call nine one one yourself. <laughs> Cars never crash. Um, well, we don't have." Uh, that we're driving around. So there's, there's, I can see a lot of use cases where I may be more inclined to keep those kind of, those kind of features on, but for what we do, I haven't really wanted to. Um, so I'm a little bit awkward on, on this and I don't have a bunch of streaming services because I get, I get fussy, but I'm an anomaly parent. Um, and, and even our, our data is, is showing that, that people who they have it, they're renewing. Um, we, the, 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 the release that Sam's talking about is a, um, a study that we did, I think about 8,000 people globally. 
So yeah, uh, eight thousand, which is a, a pretty decent sized number in this. It's a good number for a survey. A lot of yeah. times, like five hundred people. The, I'm like, eh. it, it, <laughs> like it was a global survey too, though. So it wasn't just no, it wasn't just the U.S. No, yeah, and I mean, and I've looked at our surveys before, and that's a pretty big number even for us. So we got we had some good response out of that. So then they they looked at you know forty five hundred who had a free trial or an existing subscription on an earlier car, and you know. Globally, 82% said they would probably consider purchasing subscription-based services on the future in a new platform. I think at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is, does that subscription give you as a user a value that you care about? And the difficulty is every person has something else that's more valuable to them. Um, and how much time are they in the car? All of those things come into play. The flip side of that from an OEM's perspective that I noticed and and there was a Ford presentation talking about subscriptions a few years ago now. Um, and they didn't really say this was our target, but they, they really pointed out that, you know what? If 20% of the people who buy our car spend 20 bucks a month with us, that's a whole lot of money. Yeah. That, that's and they up. don't need, so that, that was a really interesting, um, and they, again, they weren't saying that was the target per se, um, but they pointed out that the the actual margin on the software on the software once you got the hardware in place, and yes, it costs money to develop the software, but the the margin on it can be pretty high. And when I start looking at it and thinking about it a little bit differently, and thinking it's not necessary to have ninety five percent of your people, eighty two percent of your people, you know, buy the full OnStar experience or buy all of the the um, software services that are that are available in order to be profitable. When I start thinking about it that way, it's all, for me, it's a whole other equation. Again, outside of what I do, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so I, I think there's that opportunity there. The other part of it is everyone, everyone, the, the automakers who are, who are heavy into this are laying the groundwork for something a few years later. And they, they talk and they can't at it's subscriptions and values and features and content that, that they can't deliver today that's going to more holistically appreciate in, in the car. Uh, I don't know what those are yet. I haven't seen them. They kind of talk like they don't know exactly what 100% of it is. They just see the possibility there. So maybe there is something that ultimately I'll, I'll be willing to pay for. Um, so I think it's a wait and see a little bit. The magic is going to come down to the person. Um, I have tired story probably a little bit sam probably heard it but um we we bought a dryer last summer that came with a subscription service you think about it no mm -hmm. um not just but I, I got really irritated because the dryer has 14 settings on the dryer none of them do exactly what i wanted but i could buy a subscription to figure out how to do exactly what i wanted and i'm like the old dryer had a button that i pushed that did exactly what i wanted so to me it felt more complicated and silly but that summer I was talking about this with someone else and, and they had just purchased a grill and they were like, you know what, this is awesome. Like the subscription tells me exactly what temperature the meat is. I can like have my outside parties. I can go talk to my friends and I can go check on it. I don't have to be standing over the grill the entire time and blah, blah, blah. He was super excited. So those are very different products. And a couple of things came out of it for me. One is whatever subscription services in that car has to be something that some buyer says, this does it for me. This is exactly what I want to do. It does. It answers a question for me. And the other thing is that 
every product you put into your house today, pretty close, has some sort of connection, some sort of potential service to come with it. So the competition for those subscription dollars is not just about the car. It's it's about subscription dollars everywhere. And that, I think, is going to be interesting to, to watch it all come to. And I think part of my reconciling that is going back to the fact that you don't have to have 100% of your buyers buying all of your features to be really profitable and to make a lot of money on it. That's why it can it can potentially still work and find that bridge of, of delivering an actual value. Heated seats, charging for heated seats is not an actual value. Um, and, and doing something that, um, that you can make some money at and find that competition. I think there's, there's more opportunity, uh, with GM deciding to go all Google. Um, and most, several others are using Google built in. So GM's certainly not alone using Google built in, but that seems to, to marry some of the cars have information and technology that you couldn't do with your smartphone. So if you want navigation that actually does tell you, about your fuel economy and your range, where you are, and in a much more precise manner. Um, to me, it makes sense to tie those things together um, and do it that way. I also feel like part of the reason that smartphones got as popular as they did for navigation is because forever the onboard navigation sucked. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have the physical address and the time and the patience to spend 45 seconds telling it, <laughs> retelling it, and retelling it, it doesn't believe you. It, I hate talking to cars. Um, you know, then especially Volkswagen. You just have your phone. You could just be like, you know, whatever. Before you get in the car, when you're in the car, you know, hey Siri, or you can. I don't talk to Siri either, but you can go to McDonald's and Dearborn, and you can get the right one you want. You can say, I need to go to Quick Park to pick somebody up, and I want to know how long it's going to take. I don't have to know the address to Quick Park in order to do that. And so it was that it was not. I don't think as much that consumers were in love with their phones. It was that the embedded navigation system was a weak, poor experience by comparison. So if that in-car experience with all the technology, with the connected, with putting more computers into the car can deliver that, I think that people will be less upset about not using their phone than the the Twitterverse would suggest. Yeah. And, you know, as as you said, um, you know, there's a number of vehicles now, including GM vehicles that have Android Automotive with Google Automotive services. And we've got there's another uh, survey that came out this week, which was from uh, uh, J.D. Power, uh, their appeal study. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that one, uh, they let's see, let me find it here now. Um They you know, they look they look at a variety of, of different things um, and you know, the, the name, you know, kind of imply, you know, kind of gives you an indication of basically that what this overall score is, you know, what is the appeal of this car? And one of the things they, they found, you know, was that scores actually went down this year again uh, for, I think the, the second time uh, in the last couple of years. And a big um, frustration has been with the, the technology in vehicles, but interestingly among uh, looking at different infotainment systems, um, they they found that the owners of vehicles that had Android Automotive uh, infotainment systems with um, with Google Automotive services, so that means the Google Play Store, Google Maps, Google Assistant, um, those actually were the highest rated of all the infotainment systems, uh, more so than the uh, the embedded systems from the automakers um, or or the you know they're they're their native 
in-house developed systems um, or uh, or the smartphone based systems. Uh, and you know, GM has been rolling that out on their vehicles as they've updated their vehicles over the last couple of years. Ford's going to be launching it on starting with the uh, the Lincoln Nautilus um, this this later this year. Um, the um, uh, Volvo and Polestar have got it overseas. Renault is using this. Um, oh, and and the other one that actually scored the worst was if they have Android Automotive without the Google Automotive services. And the the one company doing that is Stellantis. Stellantis is Stellantis. using the same operating system, but they use TomTom Maps and uh, Amazon Alexa voice services for the for the voice service. And so those it's like so you're just like you're using APIs and you're cramming things together. Yeah. Whereas Polestar and GM, like that's that's one of the reasons like I, I like the infotainment systems of both those vehicles that it's somebody else's stuff. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. And I say, I want to go here. And the Polestar and the GM said, oh, yeah, that, yeah I can do that. I got that. I got yeah, it. that's fine. Well, I, I want to go to the, this store in this town. And that's all it needs. I don't need – I need to go to 2378 Main Street, you know, right. Fremont. Yeah, no. As, no. as you said, you know, they have – they offer the biggest advantages of the smartphone-based systems mm-hmm. um, with – um, along with you know some integration with with real time vehicle data, so you can especially in EVs, which is where you know GM's going with this stuff, to um, you know to to integrate that to give you better range estimates and and you know routing charging and like stations, yeah, charging yeah. route now, the, things. The, <laughs> the, so, oh, go ahead, Steph. So the overall the bottom line of our survey really was was that people are are probably willing to do this if they see value and that what what matters is how it's marketed and how it's implemented, which is what we're talking about with the JV Power result. You know, it's not implemented as well as, or when you're putting these hodgepodge of things together, that's, it's the implementation that is, that is failing. And I, you know, I've had lots of conversations about the GM decision to pull the phone out and whether or not that's going to be good. And it's, it's going to ruffle feathers. People are going to complain about it for a while. But if, if the system delivers, they will forgive. Um, I think I, I one of the implementations. I think I think I think what they should have done is they waited until they delivered it and then pulled it. I think that that was the conversation I had with them. I was like, you should have like made the infotainment system and then pulled it because then every at that point everyone's like, you know, this is so good. I don't need. I'm not well, plugging in my phone right now. You, it's like if you yeah. do that, you know, if you have it in there, people are going to be inclined to plug in their phone right away, and not even use the the embedded system. Um, and so they might never experience that. And I, I agree with you, Sam, and I agree with you, Robert. Roberto, <laughs> they, they both are true, right? Um, and, and saying it ahead of time, they lay in the groundwork. So they're going to get all the complainers talking about it right now. By the time they get to the car, they'll know that it's not there. They'll look for it and experience it. And anyway, and I think they would have plugged, a great number would have plugged in. We have a, a higher percentage, a higher percentage than you think that, that say, oh, they just didn't know that the system existed and they were plugging their phones in and just using their phones because they didn't really know what their car could do. That would absolutely happen um, to doing that. And it's the implementation part about that. That's what, where people are a little bit nervous. I'm in favor of Jim trying this, but when you then have to sort of basically plug your phone in or wire your phone in to take your phone calls over Bluetooth, if you want to run your phone like an iPod, um, then you're viewing Bluetooth audio which is not as good um and and so there's some limitation for there's a couple of things on your phone that you would still want to do oh like 
talking on it. Yeah. Well, and this is this this is this is the challenge GM has is at least here in North America, um, you know, Apple has, you know, globally, they're about 15 percent of the smartphone market. But in North America, they're like 55 percent of the smartphone market. So for iPhone users, uh, you know, now you've got to use your phone uh, over Bluetooth to, to make calls. Or and for messaging, you know, it, you know, yep. most iPhone users I think use Apple Messages, you know, iMessage, and you know that um, there's no Android version of that. If if Apple made an Android version of iMessage, they could put that in the Play Store for for automotive, and you could have that right on the vehicle. But they don't, they they refuse to do that, uh, and so that's that's going to be a challenge I think for iPhone users. That's the big, that, I mean, for me personally, there, there are some things that I use that they don't have that, that aren't in the Android store, but messaging, like people text me constantly while I'm, they, all day I'm sitting at home, no one's texting me, but as soon as I get on the road, <laughs> it's a textorama and, you know, and, and I, I think I said in my, my article on ours, you know, CarPlay isn't great. It's just better than what we had before. Like the fact that whenever I want to reply to a text or listen to a text, like it takes over the entire screen. Like I can't see the map. I can't see, <laughs> which is just dumb. <laughs> but but I use that so often that and they're like, oh, but you can do it with other cars. I'm like, no, you can't. They say you can, and you try to set it up, and it never ever works. Mm-hmm. Implementation. It's, yeah. it's key. And and has anything else? It's gonna you know the first round of implementation is gonna be a little bit fussy. Yeah. I mean, this is all iterative. We started, you know, with Sync and my Ford Touch and BMW iDrive, which is still existing in, in its own way. And it, it, it's gotten better and better. And Cadillac Q was supposed to solve a lot of problems, but wasn't quite as quick <laughs> yeah. as it needed to be. And, you know, this, this is where we're at. And, and, and however this comes together, they're going to have some teething pains as well. And we're going to just keep making it better. Yeah, I mean, so far, my experience with the Android automotive systems and GM vehicles has been mixed um, on uh, most of them. It's actually been really good, um, you know, on the Silverados and and a couple other vehicles where I've tried it. It's been it's worked great um, on the Hummer um, and on the uh, well, so far, I haven't yet had a chance to spend time with a more recent Cadillac Lyric. But you know, when we did the launch drive last year. It was very buggy. Yeah. Um, you know, and so both of those vehicles, you know, had a lot of the software was very flaky. Um, and that's what GM's going to have to have fixed before they launch these other vehicles without smartphone projection. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move along. Um, Last week we talked a little bit about um, the the debut of the um, Hyundai Ionic 5N at Goodwood, and the fact that they were that Hyundai is putting in simulated shifting to simulate the the feel of the eight-speed DCT they have in their other end cars, uh, as well as the sound of that the two-liter turbo. Um, and now the head of BMW M has come out and said, "Yeah, I think so." Uh, Simulated gearbox feel might be necessary for EVs, you know, because they're they're gonna start doing electric M cars in the in the coming years. Um, I don't know what what do you two think about you know having an EV that you know has little dropouts in its torque to simulate the the shifting, like, like a CVT. You're essentially yeah. just you're you're just describing a CVT. <laughs> 
<laughs> on one hand, I mean, you're like, oh, if it makes driving more fun, I guess. <laughs> I I I I I don't know. I'll probably end up turning it off to be honest. Cuz there's a yeah. That's just me. But I see the dilemma that's trying to be solved cuz the you know the visceral nature of a car with an engine um is what it is and I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I, it's what, one of the reasons I like this LC that I'm that I'm driving this weekend. And it's one of the things that I have found in in the electric vehicles that I've driven. I enjoy what they do. Um, some of them I like better than others, but none of them have a real good connection. I always feel like I'm just not part of the process. And, and, and it's a combination of sound and shifting and, and all of that. And um, one of the things that I do like about what Hyundai is saying and BMW is saying and what Dodge said last summer with the, with the Daytona is, is that it's getting, they're thinking about it and trying to, to figure out what the solution is. Simulated sounds. I, I probably am going to turn it off as well because there's there's something else that, that has to come in. And it might simply be that drivers start experiencing things differently and we reassess what fun equals and, and how it works out. And it might be just that it takes a long time for that to happen. I mean, the Kia GT, Kia EB6 GT goes really fast, but it just sort of gets there. You're like, okay, I'm now here. It wasn't part of that process. I was just sort of on board. I all I did was press the press the right pedal and just press the button. Now I'm here. Here we um, go. You know, so what the right answer is, I have I don't know yet, but I'm I'm glad that the industry and different companies are looking at it and trying to figure out how it works for them and and for the nature of how they want their drivers to feel. Um, I think that's that's what has to happen. It might be in 15 years. Nobody cares because we're just all used to electric and that's just what we've done. That's what we do. But right now it's tough. It's, it is one of the reasons that holds me back from, from buying EV is I just don't, I don't feel that connected to them. The other half is infrastructure, which uh, is, is a bigger problem uh, that that's not quite there yet. So. See, we yeah. might say all this, and then we'll get in the Hyundai Ionic N, and then we're like, "Nope, we're down." <laughs> That's the <laughs> other thing. Like, the we Ionic might be like, well, "I don't know," and then we drive it. We're like, "Yeah, this is it. This is the thing." They figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I, the, the other night at dinner, you know, you and I were uh, Steph were talking with Lori Transu, the chief engineer on the Mustang, and and we talked about that whole visceral appeal of performance cars. You know, the sound, you know, the, the, the ride quality, the, the way it shifts and everything. And, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, when I first drove the Tesla, the original Tesla Roadster back in 2008, you know, that in a lot of ways, it, it felt like a Lotus Elise that it was, you know, derived from, although heavily changed, obviously. But the, the lack of the sound, you know, that goes with the engine behind, you know, right behind your ears. You know, and the the shifting and everything, it 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 was faster than an Elise, but it it lost something. It lacked something. Um, and like you said, maybe maybe you know the generations coming up behind us, you know, they won't care. Uh, yeah. They they, they, and we keep saying we say sound, and we talk about shift feel, and we talk about right, and a lot of it, as, as I try to narrow this down in my head a little bit, is. It's it's the that the engine moves, it mm-hmm. vibrates, it, yeah. and that, 
that's the piece that we can't replicate at all. Um, it feels like know, the car's got a heartbeat. It feels yeah. like it's alive. And that's something that's that goes that takes all of your senses to really feel. It's feel and it's sound and it's all of it together. Um, it's none of, and 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 I just don't know quite how EVs are going to get around that. I mean, I'm sure there's there's fake ways to do it, but again, we may simply come to the fact that we should just have a different expectation. We, we just have to add some actuators in the car that um, that shake the car. To simulate the, <laughs> the <laughs> vibration <laughs> of a V8 engine. Yeah. I talked to Boston complexity. That'll. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to Stefan Winkelmann, who's the CEO of Lamborghini, about a year and a half ago about Lamborghinis and fake sounds. And he's like, we're not going to do fake sounds. He's like, we're trying to figure out a sound. We don't know what it is, but it has to be a sound derived from the electric motors. And so they're, they're actively trying to figure out over at Lamborghini, like, how do you derive. Uh, sound from from the from the electric motors and you know when they talked to their their cto a few months later he was like you know the zero to 60 thing that doesn't matter anymore because anyone with a battery and a motor can go zero to 60 in two seconds he's like it's it's all these other things that we really have to focus on so it's yeah so they're thinking about it especially at the very high end with the the lamborghini folks um and so, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out how to recreate or just create a new visceral experience when you're in, in the vehicle. Because I think it's, it's just going to fundamentally change, but it doesn't mean that it won't be there. Right. And, and at some point, they, do, you, do, you, do you recreate what we're used to or do you just have this new experience? Like what is, what is the good mixture? And I guess everyone's just like, eh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and that's what Dave Parasek talked about back in late 19 when – when they were debuting the the Mach E, and you know, he talked about the sound, you know, in the different modes, you know, in the unbridled mode, you know, they created a sound that was kind tried to create something that was evocative of a Mustang GT, but was not the same thing. It wasn't just you know replicating that. Um, and you know, of course, you know, Steph, you mentioned the the Dodge um, Charger Daytona uh, EV concept, you know, that Fratsonic exhaust system. That doesn't sound anything like a Hellcat. I mean, it is a unique sound, distinct. You know, it's not necessarily derived from what the electric motor is, but it's a it's a sound that is unique to that vehicle. And they said several times that it's it's not synthetic; it's air over baffles. Something right. Wouldn't tell us magically how that, which is fine. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, I mean, they, they, but, they talked about transducers, which is basically means it's a speaker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so but, it is synthetic, but. It's amplifying something, some yeah. other. Uh, it's interesting, and you know when we when I like pulled our, our you know our just generic sports car, uh, sort of standard price class segment, which includes some things that that I I don't necessarily consider sports cars, but that's okay. Um, you know, in 2015, let me make sure it was 2015. Yeah, 2015-ish. Uh, you know, sports car sales were still 493,000 units that year. Um, not not so. Not so much. Now we are looking at about 200,000. Uh, and, you know, we've got certainly a pandemic, blah, blah, blah. You know, poor launches for, you know, Camaro because of the strike and the pandemic and all sorts of things going on and who's building what has a play in this. But buyer demand for sports cars has, has really has really pulled back. Um, there's got to be a new way to connect. Because what I, I don't see happening is 
that enthusiasts just stop. Like, so, so however, whatever car enthusiasm looks like under the, under a full EV umbrella, I don't have all the answers. Nobody does yet. Um, but it's, it's got to, I feel like it's got to come back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, right, also, now, right now people aren't buying sports cars. Pretty yeah. much. It's just me and you and Sam yeah. <laughs> and 20 something year olds buying BRZs and GR86s and, well, we're in that, and that, old. What's our next car space? And it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one to decide. Yeah. All right. Um, final one before we answer a couple of listener questions. Um, Steph, you listened in on the uh, the Tesla earnings call the other day, I think. Uh, and one of the things that uh, Elon Musk said was, uh, we're very open to licensing our full self-driving software and hardware to other companies, said Musk. And we're already in discussions, early discussions, with a major OEM about using Tesla FSD. We're not trying to keep this to ourselves. We're more than happy to license it to others. Mm-hmm. Do you try? actually believe that there's a, a what what we would probably consider a major OEM that would even consider using this system? Not really. I'm not sure. <laughs> and those preliminary discussions are pretty preliminary. NHTSA is still all over it. Um, it and it may be promising, and, and I'm not saying they're never going to be able to make it work or, or making that judgment or even what NHTSA is going to find. But um that feels to me like a huge amount of risk. Um, and the other thing is right now, automakers want to understand how to do this themselves. They're not ready to let it. They're ready to have partners in some respects because they don't necessarily have everything in-house to be able to fix it out. But they're not ready to give this up and say, okay, this is our tier three or tier two or tier one supplier that just manages that system for us and defines it. Um, so that it's going to be interesting to see when it happens. But at the same time, it's technology that it, uh, there are some, some base, some fundamentals to it that, you know, there's, that could be shared, right? All of the machine learning that goes into it, all of, all of that stuff being replicated by every company under the planet, it does feel like it would be more efficient um, to, to train the machines um, in, in, in a couple of places, but not, only one would be bad, but a couple of companies instead of too many. Um, Am I at all surprised they would like to license it? Not at all. Do, are they going to have significant takers in the near term? I'd, I'd be surprised if they're having a preliminary conversation. That conversation, I imagine, not being there, would have to be, we'll consider it when you got it working. Yeah. When you and, got it working, what can we talk about? And, um, and my guess is it's probably a Chinese OEM, not not be. anybody North America or Europe. I also... Yeah. Elon Musk says a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Having covered Elon Musk for years and yeah, years and years, like everything he says, you're like, okay, what's this mean for the stock price? What are we doing for the stock price? It's if if you're not put, you know, everything he says, if you're not putting that through through that, if you're not putting it through that lens, then you're not really paying attention to what's going on because it's yeah. a lot of like, oh, we're gonna make this thing, oh, because our stock, you know. It's it's a Q3 call, so of course you're like, hey, how about we get this? You know, we're not. We, you know, they're going to be pulling down some 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 uh, production locations so they can retool, and that means they're not going to make as much money. So if they can bump the stock by saying, oh, by the way, we're working with mystery OEM 
or FSD. Oh, and that could just be like he texted somebody. <laughs> it could be like he texted the, the CEO of Volkswagen like, hey, what's up? <laughs> you guys want FSD or what? <laughs> and it's just those three dots for the last two weeks of him like trying to figure out how to reply. <laughs> so she, Elon just keeps looking. He's like, he's, he's going to say yes. <laughs> it, and I think your point about the stock prices is, is, is huge because this was a, a, a lower, lower you know, margins are falling with the pricing, which they say they know uh, or they knew was going to happen, of course. Uh, so the conversation for this for this call was about Dojo being able to train and we'll be able to sell it. And he's still, you know, people are going to just want to buy a Tesla so they can lease it out to other people. So the robo taxis in 2019, they're going to be a million of them. Yeah, there's yeah. going to be money. Robo taxis. I, mean, I, I know. I, I I used one just the other day, right? Didn't I? Maybe. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Okay. A, a robo taxi. The, the the business is still. It's still speculative. I mean, it's a lot of of, of forward motion into that, but um, it's still this is still who's going to make enough money where? I mean, you, even if a car can go without a driver and you can go for more time. If you're in an area that's not dense enough to keep it moving, it still falls apart. It's it's a very problematic business. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, why are I mean I find it interesting that the rental car companies are not really uh, they don't seem to occasionally you'll get some activity here or there, but they don't seem to be all that interested. And I'm like, well, you got the warehouse already. Like you've got the process. They know it yeah. makes money. Well, the, like you yeah. figure the one, it out. Maybe the, we'll do it. But the, mm. the one that <laughs> is actually kind of interesting is what there's a company that uh, they've launched recently in Las Vegas called Halo, um, yeah. Halo Car, and they're not doing you know autonomy or self driving or anything like that. They're doing using uh, a fleet of um, Kia Niro's um, with remote driving. So essentially what they're doing is, you know, when you rent a car, just like you would from Hertz or Avis, um, but instead of going to their place and picking up the car, they deliver the car to you um, with somebody driving it remotely. So some, you know, somebody drives it to your home or your business or wherever you are, and you get in the car and then you drive it manually. Uh, and then when you're done, you know, they're one of the remote operators gets on and, remotely drives it back to their their garage um that is kind of an interesting model i talked to the the founder and ceo and he was just like the he's like robo taxi doesn't make any money financially like it doesn't make any money like this way he's like it also doesn't make money for us to like drive these people around like but we can have you know because they it's a car sharing it's like zip car which you know if you live in a city you know a lot of people i I use zip car when i lived in san francisco a lot um because we only had one car at the time and so for that, you're like, oh, I want someone, you know, I just need a car to go from my house to downtown to go, you know, to go out or whatever. I don't and, and I don't want to worry about parking. And so this is like, oh, that actually makes sense. Like your car shows up at your house, you drive it downtown, it just rolls away. You don't have to find parking. You don't have to worry about finding a parking garage. Um, and then, you you know, you also don't have to worry about whatever the weirdness is with Uber and Lyft at this moment. Like every I, I, I can't even bother with them anymore. <laughs> yeah. But it, 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 yeah. But they're like and this one person can take care of eight, nine cars as opposed to one car, this really? one driver. 
Well, so no, so they're driving a car because they, they don't have to like, you know, take the car somewhere else. And so okay. they can drive it back and then immediately take another car. They can another park car. it somewhere and then they can immediately take control of another car that's across town. And so whether or not it works, I mean, all these things, you know, they're, they're very excited about, but it seems to make at least a little bit more sense than here's a robot that just drives around all day. It's, it's super convenient for, for owners or for, for users, I should say, not owners. Yeah. Um, the, the magical be kind of, can it scale up? Can it be affordable? And I yeah. still think it's a density problem. Uh, that doesn't go yeah. away. Because it doesn't, because you, it doesn't matter how you get the car. If there's not enough car, if people, if there's not enough people in that space that want a temporary car or temporary transportation, then that, I, I think that's one of the bigger problems is density. I mean, yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And there were a bunch of those car sharing platforms in San Francisco that all just sort of like Maven, GM Maven went mm-hmm. away. Like another one went away. Like Zipcar is still around. I think, and I think it's just they've been around the longest. So that's the one people use. So anything, and they're they're owned by budget now. So. Yeah. Anyone else who's trying to like get into the space, they're 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 bumping up against a known entity. So they're just like, oh, I don't know this company, and I have a Zipcar account. So yeah, and and this you know this is why you know. Cruise, Waymo, Emotional—they're all focused on urban centers. They're—they're mm-hmm. they're, they're chasing that—that that density, you know, trying to get as as much utilization as they can. And you know, even at that, you know, especially with you know a, a robo taxi ride hailing type of application, there's there's never a guarantee that at the end of any given trip, there's going to be another passenger waiting to go, you know, from that same area to somewhere else. And so you, you're still going to end up with a lot of deadhead miles where there's nobody in the vehicle. And that's, you know, that's where your costs really start to skyrocket. Yeah. Well, and it's true, even if you're a lifter or you get over, right, mm-hmm. that you've got a lot of deadhead um, miles. So, but, but that's, but that's on the, on the drivers on- that own the vehicles. It's not on Uber and Lyft. And, and even with that, they still can't make money. So, and they still, and that's, yeah. I guess it ends up ultimately being on on the user because your rates higher because they know there's something else coming on the other side of that um and that's why we don't use uber and lyft around here very often i mean it has to be pretty much almost an emergency for me it it, it rarely or or if i'm traveling somewhere you know and that's that's the only time you know if, if i'm traveling somewhere and i haven't managed to line up a press vehicle to drive, right. uh, then then I'll take an Uber or Lyft, and that's it. That's about it. It depends on where I'm going. If I'm going to, to to New York or to like the LA show, or the, or the oh yeah, or Chicago, then I just won't even bother. I'll yeah, it's convention right. <laughs> center, and I'm done. Yeah. All right, let's answer a couple of questions from listeners. So uh, the first one is from Joe uh, about the uh, the Ram 1500. Back in October, Stellantis Ram. Uh, issued a recall for a high-pressure fuel pump. Uh, it seems to warrant a replacement of the fuel pump due to starvation and fuel to, of fuel to the system. This actually happened to me once back in December, where the when the engine just shut off while accelerating off an on-ramp to get onto the Long Island Expressway in New York. Luckily, it was late at night and no traffic, so I was able to pull over safely. I turned the truck off, turned it back on, and then slowly drove home. Took it to a Ram service center, and they told me about the recall and did some sort of update. They said parts weren't available. They said I can make an appointment two months later to look into it further. I was asked if it was safe to drive, and they couldn't answer that question. It's now July, and luckily I haven't had the issue again. How is it possible for them not to get the necessary parts by now? 
In my monthly Uconnect email safety update, it always shows the recall and consistently says parts not available. I love my fancy Ram 1500 Eco Diesel Limited, but I'm always worried what may happen. Any insights? Side note, I love Nicole's videos and always look for the cookies and treats. Too bad I'm a diabetic. Uh, FYI, I also own a 2010 Camaro SS, a 23 Corvette 2LT Z51, and a 22 Pathfinder Platinum. Love them all. Uh, looking for a fun convertible roadster as well, like a Solstice or a Miata from listening to Sam talking about his Miata. Um, so, so parts for recalls. I mean, this, this has been a problem, uh, for a lot of recalls for a while now. And unfortunately, um, not all recalls can be solved by over the air software updates. Some of them actually do require hardware changes. Uh, I mean, we've had the, um, Takata airbag recall going on for what five, six, seven years now. Seven yeah. decades, it feels like. Yeah. Uh there's still there's still cars out there that haven't been updated because they they can't get compatible inflator modules for these airbags. I, I thought Takata, I thought there were the parts available. We were now at a point, my understanding with that one is it's it's you owners not really you're at your second and third whatever owner and they're not paying attention. Yeah, so and I that, think, I think it's a cut on that one. I think we do have parts for that. Yeah, well, I think there was another one. Um, there was somebody said Honda or Toyota just recently put out another recall notice because some of the replacement inflators were also having problems. So oh, there, yeah, you know, there's still, and yeah, you know, Takata went through bankruptcy, and, and a lot of the automakers um, actually ended up going to other suppliers mm-hmm. of uh, inflators. And having them build uh, new compatible um, inflators, you know, to so you know, going to AutoLeave or uh, or ZF, and you know, saying, hey, you know, we need you know airbag inflators. You know, can you make us something that fits this packaging, has this connector on it, and everything, and will work with this airbag system? Um, but you know, I think there there were still some cars, you know, relatively recently that you know that they didn't they didn't have parts for. Um, so, but, you know, to, to Joe's question, you know, about the, the fuel pump on, on this Ram, you know, or just in general, you know, we've seen a lot of parts shortages of all kinds of parts, um, over the last three years. Um, and I guess I'm not, sadly, I'm not totally surprised that they can't get fuel pumps for these, for these diesel engines and the, and the Rams. And it's also, I think a, a function this one's been going on for a while, but too, but NHTSA is, as uh, rightfully so, I don't know, however, whether it's right or wrong, but the, the emphasis is on getting that, that recall notice out immediately mm-hmm. and not waiting. There's a huge emphasis on there's like the short time frame. as soon as they think there's any kind of a problem, they need to report it. So we've got recalls that are being reported and, and put out, out there without a fix known sometimes. And they're just like, Hey, heads up, we're going to recall your car. Um, or situations where the parts aren't available right away. It it sucks that there's not a better answer, but you know you try to get a windshield for a new car right now, and that's a problem. If you get in an accident, you're going to have parts problems right now. Um, parts are parts are difficult. Yeah, I recommend everyone um, just go download the Safer Car app from NHTSA. Um, just to check your car for any potential recalls, you can just I think you can just scan the. Uh, barcode in the door jam 
of your VIN and it'll tell you like, oh, these are all the things that are wrong with your car. And then you can call somebody at your local uh, service center and they can tell you it'll take six months, but at least you'll know. Yeah. And, you know, to, to, to your point, Steph, you know, about getting the notice out there as quick as possible. You know, if there's something that's a potential safety issue, it's probably better for owners to at least be aware of, you know, this is something they should watch out for as, as a potential problem. Even if there isn't, even if we don't yet have the parts or know how to fix it, keep an eye out for this. Exactly. And I, Roberta, you know, even if you don't download the app, even if you just go to your computer, um, if you don't know your van, you can say, I've got a, you know, 1970 model year, whatever it is. And I pull a good number out there. Um, but, you know, you can go to their website too and, and just go by model year and make and, and car and scroll through it. It'll take more time to find your car than it would by, by knowing the van. Uh, but that's, that's a huge point. And maybe that's maybe the best thing coming out of this particular conversation. There are way too many people that don't check, especially with older cars. Recalls, recalls tend to be on older cars. There are certainly some that happen in the first, you know, couple of years of cars out. But if you are paying much attention to them at all, they're more often it's a car that's out of production. Maybe that mini plate might not be, but it's the new generation that's an older generation and it could be a decade old that they're putting these things out. The Takata one is the scary one because people are still dying from that. Um, and I guess the last one that I, that I read about, it was, it was an owner that, that had been, they had been trying to get to the owner and trying to get them. They've been mailed notice. They've been emailed notice and, and they didn't do it. And there's only a limit. There's a limit to what NHTSA can do in that scenario. So having the information for anybody who hasn't been thinking about it, go to NHTSA.gov. Pull down the app, look on the website, figure out what your car needs and do it. Because these recalls are not actually jokes. Yeah. Um, it's real stuff that your car needs. All right. Next up, uh, Victor from Ontario, Canada. Longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, first heard uh, Sam on Twitter a few years ago. I've been listening ever since. Uh, thank you, Victor. Uh, I wanted to share my experience with the car last night. Uh, or my experience with the last car I bought just to add some perspective and options for your listeners. Uh, we're typically a two vehicle household plus my motorcycle. In 2015, we were down one vehicle, but I did not replace it right away as I was working remote from my home office. Uh, and we had a 2003 Suburban for hauling anything we needed. In the summer of 2016, I landed a new contract. I'm a software engineer that required me to commute to Guelph, Ontario, uh, about a 45 minute drive, uh, no drive north via back roads. I used the motorbike for the first while, uh, an 03 Suzuki GSX-R1000, but as winter approached, I figured I'd better get something that would handle better in the snow. Well, are you telling me a GSX-R1000 is not going to work in the snow? Uh, I mean, anyway. it will for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my local garage had a client's 2005 Corolla CE, Toyota Corolla CE for sale. Honestly, I would have never entertained that brand or type of car, but it was a good deal. That's And they said it was a mint condition for its age, and they are a trustworthy garage. I figured for $3,500, I would buy it for a winter beater, and then in the spring, get something nicer. I've now been driving this car for seven years. After just a short time and commuting in this vehicle, I really started to enjoy it. It's light and nimble, handles well, good brakes, and, and good on gas, easy to park, and can pass uh, those factors on the back roads with ease. Uh, well, I mean, you know, Toyota Corolla, you know, it'll only run for about two or 3 million miles, you know, with right. maintenance. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's by no means the hottest car to look at, but it has a nice shade of blue and the body is in good shape. 
I then noticed, I then proceeded to get the uh, windows tinted, purchased some aftermarket 17 inch rims, shot it with Michelin Pilot Super Sports for the summer, and of course, Blizzax for the winter. It's now a decent looking little car. I rust spray it every year, and it's still in good shape. Uh, there is no multimedia entertainment system in this car, and I prefer it that way. All the controls are easy to use and intuitive. I don't need to fiddle with settings, and my eyes barely need to leave the road while adjusting anything. For functionality, I added a Garmin GPS device that I just stick to the inside of the window for maps and directions, and that works well. For fun, I bought some $3,000 worth of stereo components and upgraded the sound system by installing it myself. Uh, Pioneer receiver with door and rear deck rear speakers and JBL JL audio amp and subwoofers in the trunk. Totally cranks the Daft Punk to 11. And uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, other perks as, uh, are it's economical to insure, maintenance costs are low, and I don't go into anxiety and do seizure if I get a stone chip or door ding. It is, after all, an 18 year old Corolla. Uh, this has been the most reliable car and possible, possibly thing I have ever owned. I drive the bags of this thing. I grew up with sports cars, and although this is not one, I drive it like one. I can't kill it. It just goes and goes and goes. All I replace is tires, brakes, gas, and oil. I've not had one thing go on this car that I can think of. No component, belt, switch, nut, or bolt has failed. It is almost unbelievable. So I just wanted to share this with you and your listeners. Shiny new cars are nice, but they are a terrible investment. Dealers suck, and warranty issues can be a pain. There are other options, and you don't have to break the bank or go into debt to get a decent vehicle that you enjoy driving. Slow car fast. Absolutely. So Slow yep. car fast. I, I miss my Honda Civic DX hatchback with like 84 horsepower <laughs> every single day. I'm always on the hunt for a new one. <laughs> and not a new one, like an, one from 1990. A, new to like you. a 1990 Honda, just, they just, just bullet, a bulletproof slow car that handles like surprisingly well and will last until the end of time. That's, that's, that's what we have right here. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. He put he put a lot of stereo, a nice stereo system in there, <laughs> and you know, got good summer and winter tires, so you're all set. Yeah, so, you throw some twice good, a year. There's some Blizzax on there. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, your Miata is now how old? Thirty-three. Okay. See, mine mine was sixteen when I my first one was sixteen when I let it go in 2012. It's the same thing. I finally the AC finally went on it. Which was probably fixable, um, but it was just it was a it was soft top when we were driving it around um, and putting the the now this is gonna sound bad right but the the my, the removable hard top is not super difficult to do but after fifteen years of taking it off and not twice a year I was like kind of uh, over this um, and the power retractable top hard top was out and I was just like okay after sixteen years I'm ready to update this. And so we did update it with the with retractable hardtop. And one of the benefits is that because I I think you don't put yours on the road in the wintertime, Sam, but we were driving ours year year round. Um, is that you get those weird great days in December, January, or, or February, and I can still put the top down. And I found that as easy as the the soft top is on that like '97 Miata, um, I'm short and and still had to turn around to to pull it up and down. And and again. After 15 years, apparently I got lazy and decided that just pushing a button would work. <laughs> um, but with the button push, you know, I I will put that down if I'm only going two or three miles. Whereas with the soft top, it was it was hit or miss. Sometimes it would, sometimes I wouldn't. If I was only yeah. going to go down the street, I'd be like, yeah, maybe not. 
Um, so I do use it more that way. But anyway, 16 years for that car. Uh, I've got a 2002 Audi TT that we bought in 2004. Still have that car. To be fair, that car hasn't been driven in about a year, but still, we have it. Um, and the Cadillac that we've got now is, you know, it's a 16 mile year. So we're, yeah, you can, you can have fun with cars for a really long time. Yeah. I mean, the, the newest car in my garage is six years old. Uh, and, you know, it, we'll probably keep it a few more years and then re- probably replace that that Honda Civic with an EV. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for driving older cars. Absolutely. Still got my 2014 BRZ. Might be go. the last manual car I drive. Well, I don't know. I might just get another. <laughs> Once they fix the motors in the new ones. But I love that yeah, car. Get 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 a, get a used second gen BRZ in a couple of years. You know, just gotta get rid of that goddamn Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dang, I want the 2004 Jaguar. Hit me up. <laughs> all right. The next thing uh, I pulled it from the uh, from the Discord um, is part of a conversation that was going on in there um, from uh, Dave Wengier. Dave is in Australia. Says I really wish battery sizing was optional. Batteries are so expensive, which puts EVs out of my reach. Uh, but I barely drive anywhere and have solar. I, I would be more than happy with 60 to 70 miles of range. Pull out two-thirds of the batteries, throw a few concrete blocks in there to fix the weight imbalance. <laughs> I don't think you actually need to go that far. You know, they just, could just move the pull, battery back. Pull, just pull, pull the some, modules. Yeah, if you pull some front. of the cells from the modules from the front and from the back, so you back. keep the weight in the middle. You're, you're, you're good. good. Uh, yeah. well, you know, you don't need to throw <laughs> extra weight in there. Um, anyway, uh, sell me a cheap Kona EV, you cowards. <laughs> In addition, they'd make more cars from the same amount of batteries, making more, making them more profit and avoiding a current bottleneck in manufacturing. If everything has to wait for a 300-mile EV, then the transition of the whole fleet will naturally take longer. And this is exactly the argument that Toyota makes. Um, the Toyota makes. Yeah. Except they don't want to make the EVs, yeah. the short-range EVs, but it's, yeah. No. <laughs> They don't want to make. They make this. They make this argument because they don't want to make EVs. That's it's that's let's. <laughs> that's a different. Argument. So, but to his to to this this writer's point, that is that is how we're going to get someplace. We have to realize that no, not everybody needs three hundred miles range. We like the Mazda MX thirty in the U.S. Are we, you know, knocking it to hacking back because it was one hundred twenty miles range, I think. Um, hundred miles range, and but if you're a college kid if you're in there's a bunch of situations where that works and right now yes the industry in order to get enough consumers on board you need comfortability with range right now and you need infrastructure once we have those things kind of dealt with if you're looking at 2030 2035 2040 we are going to start to see cars with multiple ranges just like we have we're talking about Mustangs earlier today, we're talking about a Lamborghini Urus that has two different versions. We are going to see that happen. It's just it it's gonna take a long time. It's not gonna happen really soon. Um, because we've got to get that sort of basic acceptance level met that this enough is... people are willing to buy it, that are willing to start thinking about it. And then you have to get kind of the other thing is you get people who buy a three hundred to four hundred well, not four hundred, but you buy a three hundred mile range car today. And they drive it for five or six years, and they're like, you know what? I really don't need that. Wasn't that hard? It'll be I'm okay. Just, just dragging weight around. I, you know, yeah. I talked to a bunch of uh, automotive executives at a bunch of companies, and they're like, I'm like, do you think we're going to keep wanting to go? And they're like, eventually, people are going to realize they need 150 miles of range. That tops. 
you know, they'll probably have the one car like they do now. They'll have the one car that gets 300 miles. But the car they drive around, they'll, they'll be happy with a smaller battery, just cruising around town, and realize you know, that they don't need 300, 400 miles of range because 99, 96% of the time they're driving to work, they're driving around town, they plug it in, it charges up. It's yeah. It, I think I, it's, it's, but it's like, you, just, we just have just like huge mind block in, in the United States. Like we, we have to be prepared. We're like, we're all boy scouts. We're always prepared. We're always ready. We're always buying these big trucks because we might go to the dump once every six yeah. months or, or, or big or, SUVs. You know, we or might decide to, to drive from Michigan to California this weekend. You know? Yeah. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know my life. Right. <laughs> and then the reality is, yeah, we kind of do know your life, unfortunately. <laughs> And I, I mean, I think the long range cars will stick around. It's not like we suddenly won't have long range ones, but I think we will start to see those, those options come through and you see it a little bit now. Um, and, and your standard range versus your extended range on any given, given EV today, really. Um, but I think we'll expand that and, and I think it'll be part of the process and part of growing an EV market. If, if that's truly where we need to be, um, you know, part of it is getting, getting the powertrain, whether it's our propulsion system, whether it's gas or electric, that actually matches your lifestyle and what you need. And today, you know, we've, we've got to grow the market first, I think, yeah. uh, or that seems to be the try. If we wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, then people are going to keep buying gas cars. Uh, to be fair, I'm not saying 100% that EV is perfect. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, it's just, it's the direction that, that that policy and, and and a number of things are, are saying that we have to go. So if we have to go there, these are the steps we're going to have to take. And, you know, for most people who, you know, are not necessarily the enthusiasts that we are, you know, not, not going to buy sports cars, people that are buying mainstream vehicles, you know, whether it's sedans or crossovers or whatever, uh, you know, they're, they're, you look at, you know, the, the sales volumes for something like the Toyota Camry or Corolla or RAV4, you know, or CRV or Honda Civic, um, you know, they sell in huge numbers, not because they're exciting, you know, yep. not because they're thrilling, but they get people where they need to go when they need to get there reliably. They and, get the job done. Right. And, you know, for most people, 150 mile EV is going to do that. It's going to, it's going to meet those requirements. And so I think when people realize that, you know, then, you know, there, there are certainly applications like, you know, towing, you know, towing your boat up from Detroit to Traverse City every weekend, um, you know, where an EV is probably not the best idea. Which uh, is going to Traverse City every weekend, even not well, towing. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, but uh, all right. Uh, last one is from Satya. This one was uh, directed at me in the uh, in the Twit Discord, not in our Discord. Uh, but you can all chime in here. Is it a good idea to buy a used VW e-golf? I yes. always liked the golf's look and size, <laughs> and I do not mind the low range. I love the e-golf. The e-golf yeah. is awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, buy the, it's got, buy an e-golf. If I could find a, an inexpensive e-golf, I would buy an e-golf. Just, it, it, it's got no, no the, question. All of the, you know, pretty much all the good points of a golf and it's yep. electric. Yeah, drives like a golf, looks like a golf. Um, at least, you know, the the what the was it Mark Seven golf? Yeah, it was Mark Seven. Um, you know, uh, and so, you know, un unlike the current Mark Eight golf, you know, it doesn't have the the goofy touch controls and things like that. Um, so yeah, no, it's a fantastic car. Absolutely buy one. Oh yeah. I would totally I'm I'm gonna look up e golfs right now, see if they're <laughs> on sale. <laughs> 
right. Swap the well, e-golf for swap that stupid Jaguar for an e-golf. There you go. Oh, that it'll would prob- be it'll probably go farther without problems. It probably will. It'll definitely go far. From, you know, yeah, that, that Jaguar, man. <laughs> <laughs> Steph, uh, Robbie's got a, an old Jaguar X type. So it was a present. I just want to like make sure that I didn't pay for this. I didn't search it out. It was a present. And at the time we took it because we thought we might need it. And um, it is now the vehicle that has sat there. It has a, uh, it has a very, it, uh, my wife absolutely hates it. <laughs> so she's never going to drive it. It's just sitting there. My neighbor wants it. I just need to do a quick. Um, uh, just pull out the title, sign it. Yeah. Take a dollar well, from the neighbor do something and say, to the, here, take it away. The radiator. It's early for me here on the West Coast. The radiator system. What's that thing called? Cooling system. The, ther- the, the cooling system has a leak. I got to fix it real quick. You don't. You sell it as is. I'm like, here's your. For, here's for a dollar, guy. he can take it to a radiator shop. I know. Here's your guy. No, he works on his car. He has a bunch oh, of. Uh, well, we can fix it. No, he's a great guy. Yeah. I, I, we, I, I, we're very lucky. We have really cool neighbors, and one of them's a car guy. So I give him rides and like really nice cars, and he's always very excited. If he wants it, and it came to you for free. Just forward. tell him it needs to happen. So oh, he knows what needs to happen. Yeah, there you go. He's going going in know. with the eyes yeah. wide open. Yeah, I think my know. wife said we should give it to one of her coworkers, but then she was like, "I don't want to have to deal with him calling you all the time for problems." <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, that's got to be part of the clause. P.S. Yeah, it's yours. It's no warranty. Yours. No customer support. Nope. All right. On that note. Stephanie, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. This has been great. And we'll oh, definitely have to have you back me. again. It's been fun. I, yeah, I look forward to doing it another time. Thank all you. right. And we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.